Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. So here with me today I have Amy Brown. Amy is a professor of maternal and child public health based at Swansea University in Wales. She specialises in researching issues affecting early parenthood, including infant feeding, mental health and normal baby behaviour. She's the author of several books, far too many to all mention here, but they include the positive breastfeeding book, Let's Talk About the First Year of Parenting, and more recently, COVID Babies, which is a book looking at the impact of the pandemic on people who were pregnant or gave birth during that time, and how lockdown and the restrictions we were all living under may have affected our babies. Amy, we were talking in, I think it was December 2021, about how there were still so many restrictions affecting new parents and babies' health and babies' checks. But at that time, I think you came out with the immortal quote, you can walk into a pet shop and get your dog weighed, but you can't walk into a health visiting clinic and get your baby weighed, which is sort of shocking, but absolutely true at that time. It was absolutely true. And I think that was one of my finest moments. <laughs> summed up what had happened to parents during the pandemic in a nutshell. Um, so yeah, I just wondering if you could talk us through what were all the services that were closed when lockdown started and what's happened to them since? Oh gosh. So I think there's been a lot of variation depending on where you are in the country. So I speak to some parents and some health professionals and they've been able to keep almost everything going during the pandemic. You speak to parents and professionals in other areas, it was like there was a blanket stop everything that wasn't deemed an emergency or completely necessary service. So that was one of the things that was so distressing for a lot of parents that they could see that they weren't able to access a service, but their friend living in another area of the country could. So it seemed to range through all sorts of things. Some parents weren't able to have any face-to-face -face appointments with their health professionals for things like getting their baby weighed. That's where that immortal line came from with the pet shop weighing. Things like tongue-tie services for when babies needed support with breastfeeding seemed to be one of the most universally shut-down services. And for a long time, parents just couldn't seem to access that service at all. What we seem to be seeing now is that although some areas have come back with all those additional services back again and even some extra services in some places so sometimes you can access online support and face-to-face -face support depending on what you want other areas you still can't access the baby groups that you want to go along to and it doesn't seem to be any logic to it really yeah absolutely and so when 
you've obviously done a lot of research into what happened during the pandemic. When all of those services did shut down and parents weren't having sort of face-to-face midwife visits or health visitor visits or breastfeeding support or tongue tie and all of those things, what did you find in your research about how that affected parents and their babies? Oh gosh, just hugely. And for sort of a, on a kind of silver lining element, it really did show us how much parents really valued those connections and relationships with their health professionals. And it was kind of an element of, we didn't know what we had until it was gone. But the impact upon parents was just huge because especially for those who had been pregnant through the start of the pandemic. So they had experience of being pregnant before it all hit and then pregnant during that first lockdown. And a lot of parents in those circumstances were saying, it was just so strange to be told that during the first part of my pregnancy that all these appointments were really important and I must come to them and I must access this and I must do that because they were really important for my health and my baby's health. Yet within the period of a few weeks, suddenly you weren't able to access them anymore. And it left parents thinking, well, okay, either they weren't that important and I was having undue stress placed on me, or I'm missing out on a really vital service and nobody seems to care. So there was a lot of of those feelings going on, but just feelings of being abandoned, feeling really anxious that no one was checking on you and your baby, feeling emotionally let down that you were really not a priority within all of this. And when I say that now, obviously you have to firefight in that you have to meet the needs of the people who are seriously ill in front of you. But that doesn't mean that anybody else with health needs can be dismissed. And if you are going to put them on hold of such, you have to recognise the psychological impact of all of that happening. And what do you think the psychological impact has been? Is there any data to show how parents are feeling that have gone through pregnancy or birth or new parenthood during lockdown? I mean, we can't say that all parents felt exactly the same. And whenever I talk about this, there are always some parents who actually, I wouldn't say enjoyed it, but they kind of had some benefits to it, that they enjoyed the more relaxed pace of life. They were quite confident at home. They had a you know a nice home a happy relationship they didn't really have any financial worries so I wouldn't say they benefited from it but it it didn't seem to affect them too much but if you look at all the data that is emerging across the whole population of new parents then pretty much any study that you read will find that rates for things like antenatal anxiety and depression during pregnancy, postnatal depression and anxiety and birth trauma, they all pretty much tripled within some studies. And that obviously was just the people who were taking part in that research, but that is huge. And that's what's so strange about all the discourse around this, that if we'd ever seen a tripling of postnatal depression In any other context, people would be asking huge questions and we'd be wondering what on earth was going on. But it's this strange, almost gaslighting of, yes, you're all really depressed and anxious. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) On we go, back to normal. Because even if the immediate impact of the pandemic has hopefully passed, even though life is 
kind of returned to normal to some extent in in many ways the impact of things like birth trauma and postnatal depression can last a very very long time if you haven't had the support for them along the way Mm -hmm. so it's not as if the whole issue will disappear now we can go to the pub again and now we can go off on holiday it it can't just be swept under the carpet we need spend some time and investment in really going back to parents and saying okay so what were your experiences what did you miss out on what do you need because it's been dismissed and it's it's like we're just going to carry on and not think about any of that that totally echoes with a lot of experiences that I've been hearing and I was also someone that gave birth just before lockdown so I'm a lockdown parent myself with a COVID baby so yeah it absolutely resonates with me do you think that there's an attitude of like oh well that's behind us now it's not a problem anymore are you aware of any areas where they're actually sort of proactively going back to parents that missed out on all of those services where babies missed out on all of those face-to-face checks and going back and doing them or are they just moving on and looking at the fresh cohort of parents coming through now Not that I know of, but I would really love to hear about that if it is happening in any other area. Please do tell me. Right at the start of the pandemic, I remember there being a petition or a request for maternity leaves to be extended when we all thought it was just going to be a few months. There was the idea that because new mothers would have missed out on so many opportunities with their baby to extend their maternity leave and at the time I think quite a few people thought oh that's you know that's not going to solve it that's a bit daft why do you need that it's just a few weeks but of course looking back in hindsight now and having talked to so many parents and read so much research over the whole of the pandemic it is really impactful missing out on what everybody missed out on I mean if you look at it on the kind of face of it you haven't been able to go to a baby group you haven't been able to go out for coffee with friends and nobody's saying you know that cup of coffee was important but it's the broader context of it you weren't able to make those connections and those networks and grow into your new role as a parent in the same way and that social support and connection in those early months of your baby's life is actually really, really important. You know, if if I think back now, I've got so many really good friends now who I've met as a consequence of having my first baby. And it would be so strange to think of them not in my life now. And that first baby has just turned 16. We obviously cannot go back in time. We can't fix or erase all of this. But there's surely ways and investment that could be made to allow parents to build that social connection and and have that time and have that opportunity because they are really, really important months and experiences in that whole connection and bonding with friends and your baby and everything. But it is that that tendency to kind of sweep it under the carpet and it, it goes hand in hand with that attitude that I think is really, really unfair where some people suggest that new parents are being kind of selfish or melodramatic at saying that they were affected by this. I've said so many times to new parents, okay, yes, so you weren't necessarily in a high at-risk group. Your health may not have been at risk, but your psychological well-being, your growth as a parent, that important transition was at risk. And it's still okay to be upset by that or grieving what you lost or feeling really miserable about that whole time, even if you're healthy. 
I think what you say about, you know, the cup of coffee being so much more than a cup of coffee is so true. Because as a parent that was a new parent during lockdown, there were loads of things that I didn't realise I had missed until lockdown lifted and I began to see people again. It was only when I saw my antenatal class for the first time, we were all sat two metres apart in the park. <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, June and our babies were all born January, February time. So they were nearly six months old at that point. And that was only then that was looking around being like, oh, your baby doesn't throw up every 20 minutes and mine does. Maybe I should get that checked out, you know, and like, oh, I like your change bag. That's much more convenient than my change bag. Maybe I should buy one like that. And they will sound like sort of tiny things, but it's those little sort of pieces of knowledge that you could have shared. And I mean, obviously, you know, you can talk on WhatsApp and things like that. We did, but it's like actually seeing and sharing the experience of parenting that I think you learn so much from. And, and I don't know how we replicate that now for parents that missed out during that time i don't think we can or all we can do is try and invest in ways to foster those relationships now for the people who don't have them and that what you were saying there came up in a number of research studies that a lot of parents were really anxious that nobody was seeing their baby so they didn't have that day-to-day reassurance so when you have a baby outside of a pandemic you usually see people fairly frequently so you know that other people are seeing your baby and if you have a kind of subconscious reassurance that if they're not pointing out that something is wrong then your baby's okay if that makes any sense as well as the saying you know oh maybe there is something wrong because my baby's acting in that way it's that kind of reassurance is, is taken away the other thing that someone mentioned to me that I was thinking about a lot was all the kind of small incidental interactions that you usually have with people when you have a new baby so you know you can get really irritating strangers who tell you you know your baby should be sleeping through the night or ask you if he's a good baby but one of the little joys of having a baby is taking them out in the pram or or the sling and people kind of coming up and going oh isn't he lovely and there wasn't any of that instead Mm. people sort of recoiled from you and kind of hid from you and it on one level it just sounds a bit silly that you could have missed out on that but actually when you start thinking about it all those little interactions are a really important part of feeling connected to others mm-hmm. and of feeling like you're doing a good job that's so important as a new parent because you especially as a first-time parent you do spend most of your time being like what am I doing am I doing it all horribly wrong <laughs> is my child going to grow up horribly damaged in some way and actually yeah just Walking around the park and having a little old lady come over and say, oh, look at your cute baby. It's probably very good for the soul. I, I just remember when mine were little, some of the people that I talked to the most during my maternity leaves were sort of random older couples who I got to know in coffee shops yeah. because they always went there every morning and I went there every morning. And it, it sounds, again, it sounds a bit strange, but, you know, I really developed a relationship with them, even though I'm not even sure I ever knew their names, but we knew each other. And it's, it's that which people missed out on. And it's, it's those little things about why we need investment. And it's not so much that necessarily we need to do anything, but I think recognising the importance of it is, is really important. And I have to say that during the first lockdown and when I was initially starting to think about writing the book when I started saying to parents oh gosh 
you've missed out on so much. You've missed out on all these little things. And it's okay to be angry or frustrated or upset about that. Your feelings are utterly valid here. You've been through a really tough time. A lot turned around to me and said, no one has ever said that to me. I've been feeling really, really guilty for feeling this way because I'm healthy and my baby's healthy. And it's not an either or thing. Mm. People were affected by the pandemic in so many different ways and all those reactions and experiences are valid. And I think if there was just greater recognition of what people have missed out on and the challenges that they may now be facing that they might not even realise were connected to all of that, I'm starting to see quite a lot of judging, blaming articles, particularly around children starting school and are unable to sit at a table and talk to others or, oh, I don't know, are still in nappies or, or something really, really judgmental. That when you actually track it back and you think of the experience that those three and four-year-olds mm. had during those those early years of we should be being far more gentle and understanding and accepting that things were really different for them. And it may take a little bit of time or a different approach to them to really adapt to our old systems of schools and being around each other. That's a really good point. And, and do you think that obviously we can't sort of go back in time and, and change things for parents that had children in the last two years, but parents and especially new parents going through pregnancy and birth and new parenthood now and going forward do you think things have changed are, th- are things better are services completely back up to pre-pandemic levels or is there still work that needs to be done I think that very much depends on the area that you're in I think around now things are starting to return kind of to normal it's been a bit patchy over the the last few months and I I would really hope that everything is back up and running because as I said before what this has all shown us is how much parents value all the services that are on offer so I know I keep coming back to weighing your baby and the pet shops but I remember there being this really interesting paper it was by Dr Magda Sachs it's 15 years old now I think it was all about the experience of getting your baby weighed in a clinic but it was about the whole social experience and what parents gained from the baby weighing clinic and it wasn't yeah they got their baby weighed they were reassured that their baby was gaining weight But there was so much more. There was the reassurance of being around the health professional. There was the activity of going out. There was the structure. There was the relationships with other parents. There was the incidental chat and connection. And this has just shown us how important our relationships with our health professionals are. And I know so many health professionals have said to me throughout this that they were desperate to offer that service, but somebody higher up was saying, no, they couldn't. Mm. And you know, it's, it just shows us connection and support is so important. And I hope we never, ever lose that again, because it, it's just highlighted how important it all was. I'm not sure that certainly drop-in baby weighing clinics have reopened in many areas. I mean, in a lot of places, I think you can get your baby weighed, but it's by appointment only, and they either come to your house or you can get an appointment and go to the clinic. I, I think, again, it's very, very patchy. And there just isn't this consistency in service. And what I think has been kind of conflated is the services were stopped due to COVID, but then clearly decisions were made around 
how efficient these services were and how much they cost without taking into consideration the emotional and social impact for parents. So they were considering it in a very hard, how much does this cost to deliver? And I think they've been not brought back for that reason, because parents have done without, therefore, can we just get away with not doing it? And obviously those decisions aren't being made by the midwives and the health sisters, they're being made by anonymous virtually people higher up and I think it's all embedded within the broader staffing crisis that is across midwifery and health visiting both organizations have been shouting from the rooftops about how understaffed they are and it's like the staffing numbers are falling by the day so I think it's all got caught up in that that someone is deciding well don't do that bit then you know Parents can weigh their baby at home. But even if we could, say, buy a pair of scales for every single new parent and say, well, weigh your baby at home, then that doesn't replace the service because it's not just about weighing the baby. They could go and get their baby weighed in the pet shop. (laughs) Back to that one. It's never going to go away. But they're not going to get all the other kind of support and connection from it. And I think as well, it's just one of those really short-sighted things that you remove a service that seems, you know, oh, well, it's just weighing. But actually, you know, if in that thing, you can check something with a health visitor, just say, oh, he's doing this at night, is that normal? And, and that sort of thing. If you take away the service where people have the ability to ask those questions and get that reassurance, then parents are left with options like go to the GP or even go to A&E. And that's just going to add more pressure on the system in other places where it shouldn't be these should be like community services i mean it's it's that whole unintended consequences thing isn't it that we're questioning why are so many people turning up at a and e it's because they can't get an appointment with their gp you know there's an obvious knock-on impact here and i bet that somebody somewhere who has no real contact with parents or doesn't understand birth in the postnatal period is looking at numbers on a spreadsheet and deciding that services could be cut because I bet, and this is kind of one of those kind of why you should always look at statistics thing. If you cut your baby weighing service, I reckon levels of postnatal depression will decrease on paper because Fewer people are having connections with their health visitor, so fewer people have the confidence in the relationship to open up. So therefore, on paper, that postnatal depression doesn't get diagnosed. Of course, it doesn't actually go away. It probably actually increases. But the chances of a mother or a father opening up to a health professional that they don't know, it was like during the lockdowns when parents were expected to have conversations about things like postnatal depression or domestic violence over the phone with somebody they didn't know. You know, if if you're experiencing postnatal depression, it takes so much to open up to somebody. Parents have all sorts of concerns, not just about themselves, but whether they'll get labelled as a bad parent or presumed they don't love their baby. Many worry that their baby will be taken away from them. So you need a relationship with your health professional to open up and start having that conversation or even to recognize that something is wrong. So if you remove that relationship that you form in things like a baby group or a weighing clinic, then you're just not going to have those conversations and mental health will get worse. And those people that aren't in the records as having postnatal depression because it's not been diagnosed, presumably they're much more likely than to present 
at a GP or an a, even A&E later on when things have got to a crisis level rather than earlier on when the interventions could be sort of relatively straightforward. And then we're asking, well, why on earth did they not get support sooner? Mm. Well, it's because you cut the baby weighing clinic. <laughs> yeah, so pet shops are not an adequate substitute for baby weighing clinics. We have definitely decided that. We need to get some health visitors into pets at home. <laughs> yes, that would be that would be a great, great solution to the problem. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your own background, because you initially trained as a psychologist, I'm right in thinking, and then you switched to public health. And I just wondered whether there was anything within your own experience of having your three children and your sort of experience of early parenthood and infant feeding with them that shaped your research and motivated you to go into this field. Oh, absolutely. So I didn't get as far as training as a clinical psychologist. I really, really wanted to. So I did an undergraduate psychology degree and master's and then ended up doing a, a PhD in psychology stroke public health. Ironically, I didn't train as a clinical psychologist because I felt that it would be too overwhelming dealing with people's distress all day long. I thought, well, I'm not actually going to psychologically be able to manage that myself. I'll go into research and, and teaching. And of course, somehow came full circle and I think ended up probably where I was meant to be, looking at mental health and hearing parents' stories all day about how they've been let down with breastfeeding or how they're experiencing postnatal depression. So I ended up doing the research that I did for my PhD, like many people through my own experiences, I'd always, always been interested in nutrition and eating behaviour and health. So I was meant to be doing a PhD on older children's eating behaviour, but I, I realised that I was pregnant with my first baby a couple of weeks into that PhD and actually ended up switching the entire thing to look at women's experiences of breastfeeding and all the different messages that they get told around feeding their baby to a routine and their baby should sleep through the night and asking how often he feeds and sleeps and kind of the notion of good babies that can be put down and ignored all day and how that damaged breastfeeding. And it came about because when I had that first baby, I actually had quite a straightforward breastfeeding experience. I mean, in hindsight, you know, he fed all the time. It was really challenging from that perspective, but I was able to breastfeed him and for quite some time. But what my experience of that kind of opened up to me is that wherever I went, people were really impressed that I was still breastfeeding because they'd had so many difficulties themselves. And as a consequence of that, I just became really interested in why so many women were struggling and what on earth was wrong, because it was almost that everybody I met had so many difficulties that they stopped and it kind of spiralled from there, really. And then as a consequence of that, I started really realising just how distressing it could be when you really wanted to be able to breastfeed and couldn't. So I started really looking at the relationship with mental health and the broader experience of postnatal depression and becoming a parent and the transition and all the mental health implications of that and that's where I am now amazing and as I said he's 16 and over six foot tall and a sort of <laughs> growing 
visual representation of how long I've been researching this for now. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you can't get away from the fact how quickly time passes with kids. But if you can especially mark, like, I did my PhD when I was pregnant, then I suppose it's like every day you think, oh, God, it was 16 years ago now. <laughs> it was a birthday on the weekend and I was looking at photos of when I was a baby and just thinking, I just don't understand where the time went. And it's such a cliche, isn't it? You know, that the days are long, but the years are short. And I just thought, where has 16 years gone? Because obviously I haven't aged a day in that entire time. <laughs> but clearly 16 years have somehow passed. And yeah. So anybody, anybody struggling at the moment and thinking you're not going to get through another day and this is going to go on forever, you're going to turn around at some point. I know that doesn't help you today, but, you know, you'll turn around at some point and think, oh, I did survive it. I was all right. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Amy. Before you go, I just wanted to ask you the sort of killer question that if there was one thing you could change about the world we're living in, which would make life better for new parents, what would that be right now? I think if we could just recognise better the intensity of early mothering and early parenting and recognizing that we might put a lot of focus on the baby's health and development and growth when actually I think we should be putting far more emphasis on the mother and the parents growth and development and if we just valued and supported our new mothers and parents a little bit more then I think we'd be in a much better place. Amy's book, COVID Babies, is available now from all bookshops and online. I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can order a copy. If you're a parent to a baby or a preschooler, I'd really recommend following Amy on either Instagram at prof underscore Amy Brown or joining her Facebook community, Breastfeeding Uncovered, for loads of really straightforward, sensible and accessible information about feeding and sleeping. If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's episode, particularly if you have any concerns about your mental health, please do speak to your GP or contact your local NHS counselling service. I've also put some links in the show notes for other organisations which offer help and support, particularly with mental health issues, for new parents. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time.